Quincy Larson is the founder of Free Code Camp, an open source community dedicated to teaching people how to code while also helping nonprofits. Quincy, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. How does Free Code Camp work? So Free Code Camp helps people learn to code and then after we've learned how to code, we build projects for nonprofits. And the way we do this is nonprofits submit a lot of ideas that they want built. Um, and we vet those looking at whether it seems like a doable project for our campers and whether it seems like they have enough knowledge and know how to like be a good stakeholder and provide input. And then we actually build out those projects and deploy them to production so that when our campers go out to apply for jobs, they have a portfolio of production code that real people are using. And why did you start Free Code Camp? I started Free Code Camp because I personally had a very meandering way into the field of software engineering. I was a school director and basically on my spare time I would automate different processes within our school so that I could essentially free up teachers and administrators to be able to spend more time with the students and less time dealing with repetitive procedures, you know, immigration and uh, grades and all this other record keeping stuff that really could be automated. And in that process, I just got more and more interested in, in learning how to code and how to automate things. And I eventually left that field and wanted to help a lot more teachers and a lot more students. And Gradually, I came to the realization that the best way to do that was to try to promote coding itself and try to help teach the proverbial people how to fish so that they could automate things for themselves and leverage the power of computers and, and managing machines rather than just managing themselves and other humans. So take me through the experience of a typical coding boot camp I'm sorry, free code camp student who wants to uh, learn how to code using free code camp software. Sure. So I'm not sure what the typical experience is, but my sentiment or my general uh, impression is from talking to uh, thousands of our campers is that they come from, they already have a, a four year college degree generally. Um, some of them even have uh, advanced degrees. They've been working for maybe five years, maybe 20 years in a field that they feel is no longer as exciting and, and doesn't grant them the creative outlet or doesn't grant them the, uh, the headroom for continuing to improve and climb within their organization. Um, and they think that coding is a way to basically ramp themselves up and uh, kind of escape from their current situation. And what, what, are the, what are the types of industries that where people are, are feeling like they can, they can no longer uh, like climb the ladder? Well, accounting, uh, finance, a lot of like the more procedural um, rank and file kind of keeping civilization moving forward type, uh, jobs that would normally require 
some mathematics, some technology skills, some general understanding of how organizations work and how work gets done. Uh, we have lawyers and other people that have that kind of uh, very procedural type jobs. And those things are, are lend themselves very well to automating and uh, augmenting with uh, technology. So, right. Okay. So, so these lawyers, these financiers, and then all just all kinds of people are getting the motivation to code, and then they go on to Free Code Camp, and then they decide to learn how to code using the tools of Free Code Camp. Is there any prerequisite knowledge that a new found coder needs to have before using the platform? We start with absolute beginners in mind, but we we presume like English comprehension, like uh, everything currently is in English. We're, we're working on internationalizing um, with like human translations of our coding challenges. But basically, uh, you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to think critically. We're not going to teach you those fundamental skills. We're not going to teach you very basic mathematics. Actually, for doing a lot of web development, you don't need uh, advanced mathematics like you might need if you were doing uh, a lot of like more low-level stuff. Uh, but basically, we presume that you know almost nothing about web development, and we're specifically focused on web development. Uh, one of the reasons why Free Code Camp is so effective and so many people get through our curriculum and go out and get jobs is because we're extremely focused. Um, we use a very specific um, range of technologies Okay, and how how does free code camp compare to the experience of a coding boot camp attendee? Like, there's, there's these coding boot camps like App Academy or Full Stack Academy that give these twelve week or sixteen week programs where you learn in person. How does that experience compare to free code camp? So, a coding boot camp, an intensive coding boot camp, would generally be like a quit your job, move to a coastal city and hammer through it. And uh, the goal is generally to get you to some baseline as quickly as possible. And Free Code Camp's trying to achieve a similar thing. We want to get you to a baseline, but we provide you with the total freedom of time and uh, place. You don't have to go anywhere specific. You can literally go to a library and do the entire curriculum in a browser on a public computer. Like literally everything we do is browser based. We build full stack, no JS apps in the browser. Um, we use, uh, we do a lot of front end projects in the browser. All of our challenges are completed right on our site. Um, they don't need you to set up a dev environment or anything like that. So because it's, it's completely self paced, it's completely browser based. That means that you can take any amount of time and, uh, it, it opens it up to people who have kids, people who have full-time jobs that they can't afford to walk away from, people who have uh, big commitments, like maybe they don't want to leave their company. Maybe they really do feel committed to their current job and they can't afford to just walk out for 12 or 16 weeks to go do a boot camp. And, and maybe their intention is to bring those skills back and continue to do their current job better or to ladder into a more technical role within their current company. A lot of people do that. Um, so in many respects, Free Code Camp is much more versatile than an in-person coding boot camp. The flip side of that is 
because nobody's standing over you telling you, do this, do this, mush, 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 the types of people who succeed in free code camp generally tend to be much more, um, have a lot more initiative and uh, self-direction than the types of people who would be able to succeed in a coding boot camp. Sure. So, I mean, you, you mentioned some very interesting technical features of free code camp, like building full stack Node.js applications in the browser. Can you talk more about the technologies that you use on the back end to, to, to build how you built uh, free code camp itself? Sure. Well, building free code camp was as much a concerted decision about what to build as it was what not to build. Uh, what we did not try to build was we did not try to duplicate a uh, cloud computing platform. Uh, we decided instead to go with Cloud9 IDE, which is, in my opinion, the most developed. I think it's probably the oldest um, cloud uh, development environment where basically you can just go there and it's a Linux box and it's got MongoDB and it has Git running, it has Node.js running, and all these other things, and you can just clone a repo and start going. Um, you don't need to fuss with installing Xcode or installing uh, some sort of Linux emulator on your Windows machine. Uh, you can just go. And it's it's free. It's, there's very little friction. You just sign in with GitHub and you're going. Um, we use CodePen for our front-end challenges. We decided not to try to essentially build CodePen because it's such an excellent tool already it's it's already so flexible we just send uh our campers over to that and they build on that and code pen and and uh cloud nine these are free tools yes they're free and everything that free code camp uses is completely free the only thing that is not like completely free in the sense that you have to enter a credit card company the uh, credit card number although you don't actually have to pay for anything is heroku we use heroku for deployment of our campers apps and in order to use Roku's plugins, they do require having a credit card number on file, although they'll never charge you if you just stick with the free tiers. So um, that, that's like we, we are completely free. You can go end to end through our curriculum without spending a penny, but you will need a credit card for the, the final mile or so where you're uh, actually deploying apps to the cloud. Right. Okay. And so why do you teach full-stack JavaScript instead of teaching something like Ruby on Rails? Great question. I used to be a Rails developer. Um, I have a lot of respect for the Rails community. It's it's really um, really quite a versatile and, and rapid-fire way to prototype apps. Uh, if you look at the employment space, though, Node.js is totally taking over. Like Many large companies like LinkedIn, PayPal... Uh, Walmart, Microsoft are using Node.js in production, and, and and some people are saying it's even starting to replace the role of Java, and that Java apps are being rewritten for Node.js and running a lot faster, and they're easier to maintain because it's a lot easier to write JavaScript than it is to write Java. So, um, in many respects, Node.js represents the future of development, whereas Ruby on Rails and uh, Django and some of these other um, web development frameworks, Laravel with PHP, um, represent kind of like a hangover from the last five or ten years. Um, I believe that there's just going to be this big convergence on JavaScript technologies. I mean, it's already underway. If you look at the NPM ecosystem, uh, it's the largest 
ecosystem in the history of open source software. And it's just growing at an amazing rate. So do do you think JavaScript is as easy to learn as Ruby on Rails? Like, is it is it as easy to learn to build just express apps or um, whatever other framework you use with JavaScript as it is to build Ruby on Rails or Django apps? That's a good question. I think it's as easy to build express apps as it is to build Sinatra apps. If you're familiar with the lightweight um, Ruby uh, tool called Sinatra, basically it allows you to quickly build um, websites. It's not nearly as opinionated and complicated as Rails is. Um, It's much more of a low-level web development framework. I don't know if it technically qualifies as a framework. But um, Express and Node, uh, you can basically do the same things, but because there's less magic there, in many respects, what you're doing is much more clear. Um, with Rails, my big critique of it is there's just too much magic. Like it's doing all these magical routes, and uh, there's a lot going on under the hood that's not completely transparent. And a lot of that is because the Rails community has taken the approach that, like, uh, we want convention over configuration, like just do it this way because we said that's how we want you to do it with Rails. And that makes perfect sense because like there are a million ways to do any given thing, but there's usually one optimal way. And that's kind of the approach Rails uh, has gone. Whereas with uh, Node and Express and some of these other tools that you can use on top of it, like uh, Angular and React, um, there are patterns that are emerging, but it's really like a wild west. So in the sense that like using JavaScript throughout the stack, you're really going to have a lot more transparency as to what's doing what. And you don't uh, dive into like, like rails. I mean, you can look through all the methods and try to understand exactly what's going on under the hood. But I spent, you know, years doing that and I still don't really understand exactly what's happening. <laughs> you know, with, with uh, Node and Express, um, it it just seems like it's a lot more kind of elemental. What are the things that people have trouble learning in the all JavaScript stack? I would say the hardest things to learn are uh, um, JavaScript syntax is a little bit trickier to learn than Python or Ruby syntax. Um, and then, of course, JavaScript is, uh, you know, like asynchronous. It, um, that and the, the callback patterns and, and some of the concepts, uh, those make it much more challenging to learn JavaScript right off the bat. Um, and we're trying to compensate for that with just a lot more basic algorithm scripting practice, which is a big emphasis of free code camp is we basically have you write about 50 different algorithms dealing with like sorting, dealing with um, uh, processing things with regular expressions, using functional programming methods. So can you, can you give an example of some of those? Like the, and for those who, who haven't seen it, free code camp is kind of like this uh, gamification environment where you go through each lesson um, and you know you've got little things that you do in each lesson and then you kind of you can just go, move past it eventually um, it's sort of like I don't know if you've ever done duolingo or I'm trying to think of other 
other platforms that make for good analogies um, to to Free Code Camp. Um, yeah, Duolingo is an excellent example. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind of yeah. So it's kind of like gamified learning to program. It's very interesting. Um, maybe maybe it's somewhat similar to. Um, I mean, what's the that the the really novice programming thing that's like for people. Who learned to code with Angry Birds, basically? Yeah, you're probably thinking of Code.org, and they use, like, Scratch. Code.org. Yeah, and they're a big uh, nonprofit in the space, and they uh, they have some really good stuff that's aimed at um, younger learners. Yeah. There you go. So, like, Free Code Camp is, like, a more mature version of Code.org. Um, so, uh, talk more about the types of problems that people are solving. You mentioned some sorting stuff um do you build up to like object oriented programming or like what are the other types of challenges that that uh that you present to your uh your code camp participants sure um we basically design these if you're pro- familiar with like project euler or some of these other challenge type sites where they they give you like a, a description of a problem and then you go and solve it and then like we're, we're similar to that. We actually have a bunch of tests that are completely transparent that run. You can just press a button. It'll run all the tests, and it'll tell you the output, which ones passed, which ones didn't. Um, and we basically structure certain challenges to encourage the use of you know recursion or the use of uh, object-oriented principles like create an object and, and construct it and... and uh, encourage you to flex your kind of uh, prototypical inheritance, those kinds of uh, approaches and design patterns. Um, so we, we kind of build that into our challenges, encouraging you to use specific approaches. It'll make it a lot easier. But at the same time, with everything we do, we try to be very uh, process agnostic and just say like, hey, if you can get these tests to pass, so you're not literally hard coding like returns that, you know, like some sort of uh, logic that would return if a certain parameter were passed, return this. Like, assuming you're actually writing code that does the work, we don't care too much about how you go about solving it. Our philosophy is, you know, just just read, uh, go back through it later. And you'll, it'll be so much easier later if you've discovered, oh, okay, I can just use object-oriented programming principles here instead of doing this weird song and dance that I did here. Yeah, so a, a student will proceed through each of these these challenges and will learn their coding basics gradually. And then eventually at the end, they can help a nonprofit. Tell, tell me more about the, the, the experience of a coding boot camp, I'm sorry, a free code camp participant who uh, has completed all the challenges and is moving on to helping a nonprofit. Sure. So in the process, like I said, you'll complete about 50 algorithm challenges, which we're constantly expanding, and we're constantly making our curriculum even more rigorous. Uh, it's, it's about 800 hours of coursework. Um, only about like 2 or 3% of those are kind of scripted challenges where we – that are similar, like you said, to code.org, where you're actually doing something specific. The uh, the rest are more open-ended. Um, you'll build 10 front-end development projects on CodePen, for example, everything from a tic-tac-toe game to a JavaScript calculator. Um, 
you'll also build full stack web applications um, and deploy them to Heroku. Uh, for example, a Yelp integration, um, a, a clone of Pinterest. So after you've built those things, which takes a substantial amount of time, again, it's like about 800 hours, which if you do uh, 40 hours a week is still going to take you, you know, a long time. <laughs> I mean, it, it's basically, we assume that the fastest you're going to get through free code camp is about nine months. Um, then uh, you basically would start doing these projects and the way these nonprofit projects work is we take two campers and we take a volunteer project manager who is uh, volunteering. So he or she can keep his or her uh, uh, project management Institute certification current. Um, it's like continuing practical training for them. Um, so they are managing this. And then we have a stakeholder from a nonprofit. And again, we've extensively vetted these nonprofits. We only accept about maybe one out of every 10 or 20 projects that uh, are proposed. And so the nonprofit stakeholder dictates the business need and the project manager manages the overall flow and the campers decide how to go about um, actually building things in terms of uh, writing user stories and breaking those user stories down into uh, sprints. And um, essentially the entire time scope is being readjusted as, you know, un inevitably things are learned throughout the process. And uh, then eventually we ship that, that piece of code and uh, that is maintained by the nonprofit or, they want they can uh, make some sort of deal with the campers to like periodically maintain it, but basically um, the goal is to create like a standalone like reliable solution that can be easily maintained by future developers. Sure. So, um, what about like jobs? Because uh, a lot of these a lot of these coding boot camps they offer a route to getting a job after the 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 boot camp has completed um and they oftentimes will you know boast pretty good numbers about how consistently their people who have finished the program um will get jobs uh, does free code camp have any route to getting a job well i'll tell you this um nobody's ever actually finished free code camp because people get jobs before they finish wow um the farthest anybody's gotten, I think, is done. They've done one nonprofit project, and we recommend they do four, but they'll get a job after the first one. And uh, some of them do you are. Consider this an accidental success. You know, I think it's just the byproduct of being extremely rigorous and erring on the side of like this is a very difficult program. Huh. Um, a lot of coding boot camps are extremely selective to begin with. It's just like Harvard, you know, I mean, yeah. people don't get out of Harvard and have trouble getting a job because basically they were already the top, you know, one percentile uh, before Harvard would even let them go there. And then you encounter the situation, well, was it Harvard and that education that actually got them ready to go get the job? Or was it just the fact that they were already incredibly uh, talented before they even got into Harvard? Did Harvard, was it just a selection mechanism? So in many ways, you could look at like the selectivity of elite universities and the selectivity of coding boot camps that are highly selective as a way of ensuring that they're going to be able to 
uh, keep their records very high at the end because they'll basically be able to say like, yeah, we were so selective with our process that everybody was able to get a job afterward. And um, what we do is we, we take the opposite approach. We admit literally everyone and the people that are hardcore enough and serious enough and can take the initiative and endure the setbacks and the inevitable difficulties of learning to code because learning to code is quite challenging especially if you're learning the code after a full day's work, after you put the baby to sleep. I mean, that takes dedication. That takes a lot of grit. And those are the people that generally succeed. So, so we're basically, we flipped the filtering mechanism where anybody can start using free code camp and we front load the most useful stuff. Cause we, even if you don't uh, finish free code camp, we still want you to have a whole lot of valuable skills. So the longer you stay in free code camp, like, the actual like low hanging fruit tapers out and it's just harder and harder to kind of advance further. Um, and you're stretching farther and farther. It's just like anything, uh, where there's like diminishing returns to effort. Um, but do you, do you have any numbers? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you were going to ask specifically numbers. Well, I was going to say like, the, cause like I know all these online MOOCs, you know, like Coursera, they have really high attrition rates. Um, and you know, I'm, I don't, I don't say this as like a, um, you know, denigration or anything. I'm just, I'm just curious what the, uh, attrition is like, or, or if you, if you think of it even as attrition, like maybe when somebody quits because they found a job, I mean, I guess that's not really attrition. So I don't know. Do, have you looked at any rates of, of, uh, when people drop off or how they drop off? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're doing, well, we're working with some uh, data scientists um, within our community. Like we have such a, we have about 120,000 people using free code camp. So we draw a wide range of uh, people, including data scientists and, and people that are um, statisticians. And we're open. We're basically taking our data and making it open to anybody who wants to analyze it. We're anonymizing it, of course. But we'll, we'll learn a lot more about specific bottlenecks and specific challenges within the curriculum once we've finished that process. Um, I can tell you anecdotally, our attrition rate is probably comparable to difficult um, edX and Coursera courses. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a fundamental feature of admitting everyone. <laughs> if you have literally, like, like any neighborhood kid can sign up for free code camp. Uh, any... Uh, retiree can sign up for free code camp there there are no barriers uh we accept literally everyone uh because we believe that random people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be effective developers can kind of just come out of the woodwork and that's certainly been our experience like uh within our community we've just had people that you would never guess like a yoga teacher from arizona she is in her you know 40s or 50s and she just started working through free code camp and she ended up building some amazing projects and building a great project for a nonprofit and getting a job as like a lead de- like basically a lead developer like managing other developers wow what so, kinds of other success stories have you seen um we have lots of developers who come from like the typical like oh i did java 10 years ago and, and <laughs> like kind of fell off into the managerial rut and lost a lot of my coding powers. And now I've ramped up with free code camp and I went out and got like an awesome systems engineer job and, and things like that. We're also seeing, uh, you know, people that were literally like, uh, art history majors and English majors that go out and get awesome jobs. 
because they have the soft skills. They're cool, likable people that are helpful and generally cerebral, but they don't know how to code. And coding it for them is just like the last 20 or 30% of the skills they actually need to go out and get a good job and be successful with it. Tell me more about the community of Free Code Camp and how, how important is it to have a community when students are learning to code? Well, the community essentially is Free Code Camp. Um, Free Code Camp is an open source community. It's a collection of individuals like myself who have approached code mostly later in life. Um, 25 uh, or our average camper is uh, somewhere between 25 and 45 years old. Um, it's about, uh, 70%, 80% male, 20 to 30% female, um, uh, in terms of total signups, but I suspect the active users, like we have a lot more female, um, campers that are, that are quite active in our community. Um, the community itself is spread out across about 450 local city groups that meet for coffee and coding together all around the world. Um, we also have... Uh, How many groups did you say? About 450. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like literally like every day we're opening new ones. And, and our like we basically try to just completely get rid of any overhead or bureaucracy. So or this is 450 groups that meet on a weekly basis or like a daily basis or how? It, how it's completely up to them. Basically, wow. they send me a message in Gitter, which is our... Um, our chat room system and basically say, Hey, I created this Facebook group and invited my friends and we're going to do coffee and codes. Can you add us to the directory? And then I go to our GitHub wiki, which is where we have our, our list of campsites. And I just add them there. And uh, then as they have these events, they're completely self-organized. We, we don't fund them or do anything like that. We just create um, blog posts and other um, things to try to give them general guidance so they can make their uh, campsite as effective as possible. And uh, so we have about 450 of those. We have an, an active uh, chat room community uh, at any time. There might be uh, dozens of people logged in talking about, you know, getting a coding job, talking about how should I improve this algorithm so I can uh, pass all these tests on this algorithm challenge, talking about um, projects that they're working on. So it's, it, like Free Code Camp is extremely decentralized. Uh, there are very few rules. We have a, a code of conduct, and basically we just say, do whatever you need to do to keep yourself motivated so you'll keep coding and keep progressing. Right. So um, I'd love to hear more about like some of the tools that you use to communicate with each other. I mean, you mentioned Gitter. Uh, why do you use Gitter as the chat application instead of Slack? Sure. We actually use Slack. Um, and we use Slack also. We did use Slack. We, did. we no longer use Slack. Um, we used Gitter. So we started off with HipChat, and HipChat worked all right, but we found Gitter was like more featured and better for an open source community. And then everybody was like, hey, you should use Slack. You should use Slack. For months, I was just like, well, Slack's not designed for this sort of thing. They like you. It's, we wrote like a, a several months ago before Slack in and these other things came out. Um, we wrote like an undocumented API integration to where we could just programmatically add people to our Slack room. And then we had like a really, really 
busy Slack room, like literally hundreds of, like a hundred thousand messages a week or something ridiculous like that. And, uh, what happened was Slack just got slower and slower and slower. And once we hit like 8,500 people in our Slack community, like we just couldn't add anybody new and we didn't know what was happening. And it found that we, we discovered that we were the first people ever to hit an undocumented, um, limit on the, the size of a Slack community. Oh my gosh. Um, and at this point, like Slack was just like, we can't do anything about this. This is like literally a technological problem with Slack. Like we can't have rooms bigger than this. So, uh, of course I was upset because on their, pricing and like all their marketing they say free for as many people as you want like it's literally one of those um unlimited promises that isn't actually unlimited like you know the kinds that uh at got in trouble with got sued over um so we basically just said we have no choice we have to move back to getter so we all moved back to getter and moving back to getter was like the best decision we ever made because now hmm. our chat our, our chat community is like even though getter routinely like uh, kind of dismisses people that have been in- inactive for a while. We've got more than 25,000 people in our community there. And, and no slowdown. No slowdown whatsoever. In fact, it gets faster every day. Um, Gitter is doing amazing things. Uh, they just implemented this tool called Sidecar, which allows you, to, it's like a really classy iframe embed where you this can is, just press This is a free program? I'm sorry. Gitter is completely free. Uh, if you, Their business model is if you want to have large private chat rooms, then you have to pay um, for those. But if you, if they're public, like everything FreeCodeCamp does is 100% transparent. Uh, it's all indexed by Google, except for you can private message. So we tell campers very explicitly from the beginning, don't put any, um, don't put any sensitive information in the Gitter. Like do it in a private message. Mm. But yeah, it's it's this team out of uh, London. It's, it's like four or five developers, and they're just building this amazing like product on top of node.js and some other technologies i think they're using backbone marionette and uh they have just a tremendous number of uh major open source projects that are using uh using gitter to coordinate the development of that project and and we're one of the communities that's not only using it to coordinate the development of our project but also just the uh day and day out of our community yeah, I mean, I think you have convinced me to switch. I mean, we software engineering daily set up a set up a Slack room, um, and in the meantime, I mean, people can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com and sign up and enter that chat room. But uh, as of this conversation, we might need to be moving to Gitter because it sounds like a good. It sounds like a really, I don't know, a better. I mean, Slack is not built for that purpose. Is the thing. So we're like we hacked together a way to to get people into the room because it's not built for that so yeah well i can tell you with gitter um the support's been excellent we you know we had lunch even though they're from london we've met with them twice in san francisco and uh they're very uh communicative and um they fix things quickly um they have like a clear feature roadmap that is in line with uh things that open source communities need versus you know slack of course is focused on you know, corporate teams, essentially, I think mostly. Um, I've told a lot, we, we wrote a blog post basically warning everybody else, like, don't try to use Slack <laughs> for open source communities uh, or really any community of any size where you're not going to be able to pay $5 per person per month, which is a lot of money. Uh, so so I, 
I, I'm really curious, like, how are you subsisting on in, in life? Like if you're if you're working on free code camp full time, what where are you getting your money from? Sure. I saved some money um from my old job as a school director. Um and that's been uh sustaining me. My wife has a job uh that provides health insurance, which is vitally important. Uh, wow. I definitely couldn't do this without without my wife Jade. Um we basically just saved money for years, um, thinking we were going to get a house or something. And uh, instead of getting a house in, in the Bay Area, which is extremely expensive, um, I decided, like, hey, you know, this community can go places. We can we can always monetize later on. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, when you're, generating, when you're generating competent software engineers in a market where people are literally fighting – for software engineers and paying exorbitant uh, commissions to try to recruit software engineers, like I'm sure there's going to be some way that we can reliably monetize so that we can keep free code camp going. But yeah. but one thing we'll never do is we'll never charge our campers. Like I I put the word free at the beginning of code camp for a very good reason because I wanted to reassure everybody like we're not going to change our name. This will be a free open source way to learn to code. Yeah. So um. You know, speaking of the open source um, aspect of it, um, how, how many, who contributes to it? Like, do you have a, a lot of contributors? Yeah, we have, uh, I think, maybe like 100 or so people that have contributed pull requests uh, in the year since we launched. Um, most of the, like a disproportionate amount of the code is written by a few people. Um, it's just like a no- normal Pareto efficiency. Um, I would say that, we have a lot of emergent contributors who just suddenly start contributing a whole lot of stuff. And more recently that's been happening. It's tough to extrapolate how the contribution is going to continue. Um, I suspect that we'll, we're we're in this virtuous circle where we're writing better documentation and we've got people that are kind of moderating the issues better. And we're, we ourselves are learning how to better uh, manage the process of, of creating issues and patching them and creating feature requests and, and having people kind of step up like, I can build that. So I suspect that we're going to continue to accelerate the rate of development. If you look at like our October change log, for example, it takes five minutes to read all the things that we implemented. And if you look at like two or three months after we started, like, Here's the stuff I got done this week by my, this month by myself, and now all these people are helping. So it's it's really taken off in terms of like feature development. I tell people that are running projects that they should seriously consider open sourcing for no reason other than the fact that things get done so much faster. <laughs> so you've mentioned that you had sort of a slapdash way of learning to program yourself. Um, can you tell me more about like the problems that you had when you were learning to code and how you fixed those with Free Code Camp? Absolutely. So, essentially, Free Code Camp is my effort to correct the extremely inefficient, circuitous way that I learned to code. Like, I don't want people to have to go through that. So, basically, at this point, I'm like committing my career, the rest of my life, toward just making this process as efficient and painless as possible. Uh, there's always going to be some pain associated with learning a big, complicated corpus of knowledge. But um, I, I believe that there are a number of ways we can Im- improve the process 
not just technologically and in terms of pedagogy, but in terms of the way that we introduce concepts and uh, the way that we set expectations. So when I first started to code, it was just jumping from one tutorial to the next. I heard about Scala. I heard about um, Rails. I heard about all these different tools, all these different editors. Oh my gosh, I should learn how to use Emacs. No, wait, I should learn how to use Vim. Uh, no, everybody uses uh, Atom now. You know, and, and like jumping back and forth and getting nothing done, basically. Trying to configure a Windows machine using PuTTY. Trying to use a, a Debian uh, installation of Linux and, and realizing, oh, there's not even a GUI installed in this. Like, I'm literally in the command line. This was intended for a server, not for a desktop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, thinking that I had to be, uh, that I shouldn't be using linting or that I shouldn't be using all these things because I should just learn along the way. I even switched to uh, a very esoteric keyboard setup called Programmer's Vorak. It's uh, or Dvorak, I yes, guess. Yes, my that. little brother tried that. So it's not just Dvorak; it's programmer's Dvorak, which literally every single button on the keyboard has been moved, except for the A and the M keys, and I think the uh, the tilde key is still where it is. Uh, I mean, literally everything I could thinking that that was how programmers did it, thinking that it was totally normal for you to go and sit in, in uh, at your kitchen table by yourself for hours and hours without talking to anybody because that's how you learned. You just had to like bite the bullet and sit there and try things over and over until they work using a lot of books instead of interactive software because I thought, Oh, you know, like books, that's how hardcore people do it. When in fact software is much better than books because you've got a tight feedback loop and you immediately know you've done something wrong. You don't, you know, transcribe, code from a book over into the program and then have to figure out how to debug it because the book is static. It's not going to help you anyway once you get off its rails. So all those things that um, made learning to code a nightmare for me are things that we're trying to fix with Free Code Camp so that working professionals who are busy, who have better things to do than bang their head on their desk for three hours on a weeknight can quickly just jam through and learn what they need to learn and start building things and get out of learning mode and into a hybrid working and learning mode as quickly as possible because so let's 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 talk about the the broader educational implications here you've been in education for a long time is learning programming as important as literacy as we go into the future Literacy is always going to be the most important skill, in my opinion. It's much more important than numeracy, for example. Being able to communicate with other people will always be the core, core, core skill. I, I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, I'm going to get my kids learning to code as soon as possible. And I'm like, well, there's a very clear um, dependency on learning to code, and that's knowing how to read. If you can't read and if you can't process language properly, you're not going to be able to learn how to code. So... In many respects, code isn't the new literacy in the sense that literacy will always be the real literacy, right? Um, but I think if you look at people who can read versus people who can't read, they generally make about four times as much money. And if you look at people who can code versus people who can't code, they make another 100% income on top of that. So basically, you make twice as much 
if you know how to code, it's the average person who doesn't know how to code. So in that respect, you can see it as like a huge booster of income and probably associated with income, a booster in quality of life and productivity, perception of personal worth, all these other things that are tied to getting work done. Do you think that everybody should learn to code? Yes. I think that everybody should learn to code and soon everybody will have to learn to code. We're probably headed toward a massive welfare state because, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated discussion, but essentially a good chunk so of our jobs are going to be automated. I mean, do, you, do you believe in the basic income thing? I think that there's no alternative to that. Uh, if yeah. you want to have a stable society, I mean, there will be a point at which the average unambitious person cannot get a job. You cannot smoke weed all day and sit on a couch and play video games and then go, oh, it's time to go to work and go and work. You are going to have to be constantly learning new things. You're going to have to be leveraging technology in order to just keep up with the pace of even the most, um, you know, mundane of 21st century jobs. Because what is happening is technology is creeping in and computers are essentially making individuals so much more productive that it reduces the aggregate demand for individual humans. It's not that we're automating full careers and full people. It's just that we're making individual people so much more productive that you only need three lawyers at your law firm instead of 30. Now that you've got LexisNexis and you've got all the, these uh, search tools and pretty soon you'll have something like Watson that's helping you do all your legal discovery and uh, helping you plan your case out. I mean, once people become extremely productive using computers and, and, and writing code and automating parts of their own jobs so that they can be more productive, there will simply just be less demand. And as a result, we're going to have to guarantee some sort of baseline income in order for those people that aren't as ambitious and, and have fallen behind. That, that's the real, the real concern. If you look at the, the Gulf, you know, we have the, we are the 99% and many of them lack a lot of the skills that the job market is looking for today. And if you have been out of the job market or if you haven't been like working your butt off, there's a good chance that, you know, even five years of like resting on your laurels will be fatal to your career. Yeah. How, how much code do you write lately? Uh, I write code probably about two or three hours a day. Um, it depends. When we're really gearing up for a feature, I'll write code like, you know, eight or 10 hours a day. Sometimes I'll just literally do it nonstop. I still go to hackathons a lot. And during hackathons, essentially, I write like 10 or 12, 14 hours a day. Um, what, what kinds of stuff are you writing? Like what, what, uh, what technologies are you enjoying lately? Well, most, most of what I do is API integrations. I mean, web development is mostly using other people's data, using other people's tools to try to get things done more efficiently. So I, I do a lot of uh, API integrations and uh, view logic and controller logic um, and some schema design, things like that. We're, we're redoing free code camp in React.js. We're pulling out Angular and just replacing nice. with Angular. I was going to ask or, about yeah. that. Yes. So, so you have, do you have a, you have a preference for for React, presumably? Um, me and the rest of the team, we have a preference for React. React is, is definitely. It, do you think you think it's just the better technology? I think it's lighter weight and it's easier. 
Angular is pretty challenging to really use effectively. Um, and so the it, learning process is the it do do new students learn React better than Angular? I suspect that will be the case because React is closer to pure JavaScript and pure HTML with with JSX and stuff like that. Uh, there's certainly a, the job market is looking for people that know Angular 1.0, and eventually when Angular 2.0 comes out, probably it will be big as well. Um, there are so many people that are invested in Angular 1.0 that I think it'll be around for a long time. It's definitely worth learning. And we still we still recommend learning Angular as part of our curriculum, but we do plan to write a React curriculum eventually and transition our, our learners, our campers, over to React. So we've talked some about the future, and we've talked some about JavaScript. I mean, you've posted some interesting trends about JavaScript on Quora, what are the most important statistics that you see around JavaScript and, and how big is JavaScript getting? I mean, is it taking over? Are we going to need other languages? I think we'll always have need for other languages because JavaScript isn't as performant as C, for example. Um, it's certainly not as secure as a lot of other languages are. And it, it'll be a challenge to try to like beat JavaScript into the uh, the language we want it to be. I, I look at it like English. I mean, JavaScript is essentially the lingua franca of the web, just like English is the lingua franca of human communication and business. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's already using JavaScript, there's just this virtuous circle, this huge network effect that it's going to continue to get better. And because basically everybody who's building for the web has to use JavaScript in some capacity it becomes something that, because everybody knows it, it's easier to communicate with it, it's easier to do pseudocode, or, or to actually implement things in JavaScript so that everybody can see them. Um, additionally, JavaScript has some really cool things coming online, like, uh, uh, I think it's pronounced uh, WASM. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, WebAssembly. Yeah, WebAssembly. And uh, basically the idea of taking programs that have already been written in like C, for example, like a lot of games and just piping them into a browser. I mean that a lot of people were like, Oh, well JavaScript's dead because you can just, you know, write in whatever language and pipe it through JavaScript. But in, in practice, I think that uh, that's only going to strengthen JavaScript because people will drop down and do very low level stuff where performance really matters. But for everything else, it's just easier to use a high level scripting language and JavaScript is the, uh, default high-level scripting language. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so I guess to close off, um, what are the things that you're looking forward to building out of Free Code Camp? What are the features that you do not have yet that you're looking forward to? Sure. We're looking forward to a lot more real-time. Uh, we'd love to be able to pair program right in the browser. Right now we're using tools like, uh, like TeamViewer and Screen Hero to pair program and we think that we can build it and build free code camp. Once it's a single page, uh, isomorphic reactive application, which is what we're working toward right now, transitioning everything over to react and having it be a single page application, having a uh, voice over internet protocol, having messaging, having uh, real time notifications and things like that built into free code camp so that it's more of like a modern web app. If you use Quora, for example, or if you use Facebook, these are like really well built, um, applications that 
just like things happen and they're immediately pushed and and you know what's going on at any given time. And Free Code Camp is still kind of like a generation behind that. Well, we're going to bring that up and eventually we want it to be, you know, basically like where you just see that your buddy is online and that they're working on the same challenge as you and you like click their face and it opens up a voice channel and you can say, hey, what are we going to do here? And, and it just shows their code and you share a code editor. Once we have that, of course, it'll make pair programming so trivial that people will be able to do it all the time. Right now, it's it's kind of arduous to set up. And we really do believe that pair programming and um, saying what you're thinking and, and working through a process with another person is much more similar to what you would do at a contemporary agile job. Like if you go and get a job at Pivotal Labs or if you go get a job at, at Netflix or something like that, you're probably going to be doing a lot of pair programming and interacting with people in real time rather than just doing like asynchronous code review. So those will be some things that we're really looking forward to implementing in free code camp. That'll make it just so much easier and so much more fun to learn to code. Awesome. Well, uh, I encourage listeners to check out free code camp and Quincy Larson. Um, I really appreciate you coming on to software engineering daily. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff.